There's a uh, phrase in that song. Appreciate Kyle's leading it. My prayers are cold. I, I'm not going to ask you to <laughs> for show sure hand, certainly. But I wonder, how many of us can relate to that? You ever felt that? Seriously. I've, I've, I've felt it multiple times. My prayers are cold. You ever, you ever been um, kind of in your, in your spiritual walk, just kind of like, you don't feel like God is hearing you? Maybe you're asking for something, and, and as far as you, you were concerned, it looked like God didn't answer. Or maybe, maybe He did answer you, and it was the exact opposite of what you were praying for. You ever, you ever had that happen? I suspect in this audience right now, all of us have experienced difficulty and pain and heartbreak. We prayed for something, and God didn't do it. We asked Him to take away some pain, and He didn't. We struggle with that. I think we need to be honest as Christians that a part of this walk, with reference to prayer specifically, is a difficult thing. It's, it's, it's sometimes very hard. And it may even be hard intellectually. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand why God does what He does, you know? Why? It makes no sense whatsoever from a human perspective. I think we probably have been there, or are there. Uh, so what do we do with that as Christians? What, what do we do with that struggle? What do we, what do, we do with that, that curiosity, those questions? We didn't read the first part of this. Uh, I asked Matt to start reading in verse 5, but in, ver- in chapter, chapter 11, verse 1, which is part of the context here, um, what, what was going on there? In that, in that little, little section is the disciples had been listening to Jesus pray. They, they heard him pray. They saw him pray, and they were overwhelmed, I think. Now, these guys were Jewish guys, and a part of their Jewish upbringing, their Jewish culture, is they had prayed all the time. I mean, prayer was something that they did a lot. So it wasn't like these guys had never prayed, but something they saw in Jesus made them realize they knew nothing about prayer. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. You ever, you ever prayed that prayer? I think it's a good, good prayer to pray. Sometimes you just go to God and you say, Lord, I don't even want to pray right now. Uh, and I don't know what to say. I got some pain. I got some struggles. I got some sins. I got some things going on in my life or things going on in the world, and I don't even know what to do with them, Lord. Uh, I don't know what to say. Can you help me? Can you teach me to pray? Uh, I think that's what the disciples are doing here. And Jesus says to them initially, though we're not going to study it this morning, he gives what is what we normally call, often call the Lord's Prayer, the, the disciples' prayer, this, our Father who is in heaven. This is a little bit different from the version that's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, you know, Matthew 6, where Jesus gives an extended version of this prayer. Uh, it's, but it's similar in many respects. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And that brings us to what we're going to study. And it has to do with how to pray. How to pray. In, uh, in the first part of this 
section, he tells a parable. And, and it's a very simple one. It's a couple of cultural things I want to bring out. It might help you understand it a little bit more. But which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, I have nothing to say before him. Now, a couple of things. You probably figured this out from just reading it, but it might help to know a little bit about what's going on in, in, in their world and what things were like. So the assumption here is, in most every, most every part of this world, this filled with peasants, you know, they lived in a one-room house, just one room. And when he says, my kids are with me in bed, he's not exaggerating. There was one bed, there was a pallet that was on the floor. Everybody slept on the pallet. You only have one room. They would bake bread every morning for that day. Not for future days, but for that day. And so they would have gotten up that morning and they would have baked some bread. And usually, you only baked enough bread for the day. You wouldn't have anything left over. It was probably, probably fairly small loaves. And so this, this parable, I think that we ought to read this parable and, and we ought to think that Jesus is telling something that is unbelievable. Um, he, he's, not, he's not saying here that this is actually going to happen. It, it's more of like, can you imagine something, like this, something crazy like this happening? This would never happen. So you've got a friend who comes at midnight, and, and, and part of your obligation, there's some shame honor things going on in their culture that's not as familiar to us, that they were very concerned about saving face, about, about making sure that they didn't bring shame on their family in the eyes of the community. And so if you were... To well, really, two things going on here. Most likely, you would not make this request at midnight. Friend comes to you at midnight, um, you would not go to your friend because the houses were positioned such that oh, you got all these little one room, we would call them one room shacks, one room houses, and they were close to each other. There was no way that you're going to wake one up without alerting the entire community. But anyway, I don't think that's Jesus's main point here. I think what he's suggesting to us is that this would never happen. You would never have, you would never make a request like this and your friend would say, no, this would not happen. He wouldn't say, my kids are in bed, I'm not going to get up and help you. That, that it would not, he wouldn't do that. And he goes on and he says, he, he won't get up, just hypothetically, if he didn't get up, he would eventually give in and he would get up because he is, uh, because he is, doesn't want to lose face. He, he doesn't want to be ashamed in the community. And it says in verse, uh, verse 8, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, right there in that verse, in verse 8, that word impudence is where I got the title for the lesson this morning. Because that word impudence is a word that can be translated a lot of different things. One of those words is it can be translated something like shameless. Because of his shamelessness, because of his not, not respecting the cultural norms, because of his going outside of the, bound, the boundaries of propriety, because of his doing that, I will, I will go ahead and give in. <clears throat> shameless, shameless prayer. He'll give in. In verses 9 and 10, we're going to make some application to us in just a minute, and I, and I, and I think it might... It might help us all to think about prayer a little bit more. But he says in verse, verse 8, verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. That almost sounds like a blank check, doesn't it? 
And so you got a couple of difficult things going on here. You got, first of all, is God like this friend who doesn't want to get out of bed? Is he like, is he like sitting on this throne up in heaven and he's, he's like, oh, it's Chuck again. He is killing me. I mean, he was, like, I'm so sick of this. He keeps asking about the same thing. And, 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 I, and I didn't answer him on purpose, but I guess if it'll make him be quiet about it, there you go. Just, just don't bother me anymore. Like that, is that God? And, and then the second thing is, is kind of like the opposite of that. It's kind of like if you just read these verses here, you would think, and some people teach it this way. You, you can find some places out there where you can get this, this kind of message, and it's, man, anything you want. You want a new car? Ask, and it shall be given you, to you. You want, you, you, you want, a, you want a new house? You want, um, you want that sickness to be taken away like that? Ask. Just ask. The reason you don't have it is because you don't ask or you don't believe that you're going to get it. If you ask and you believe it, then God is going to give it to you. And so you got kind of these, these two things. You can, and people, people have read this in, in similar ways. God's like this. He, he doesn't really care about us that much. He just, he just gets annoyed with us. Or he's like the grandfather and the grandchild is coming to him and saying, you know, granddaddy, can I please have this? And the granddad says, oh, of course you can. Not what you need, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because I love you. You know, I just want you to have what you want. Is that what he's talking about here? And of course it's not. You've got to read this passage together and you've got to read it in the context of the entire, entire scripture. You know, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. And, and so then in, in the next part, he kind of switches again and he gives us another parable. It was a short parable. He says in verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? It's you then who are evil. So I, I want you to notice something, and, and this will kind of frame the rest of this lesson because I think this is what ties it together. Is notice back up in verse 2. We didn't read this. I mean, I read it a minute ago. We didn't, wasn't a part of our official reading today. But when you pray, say what? Father, Abba. Now I know you've probably heard before that this is very close to our word daddy. You've heard that before probably. Abba means daddy. There's a little bit of a problem with that because our word daddy um, carries with it some connotations that are not present in Abba. Now, the way that it is true is that Abba would have been one of the first words that a little child would learn to say. A little baby, a little, a little child would... I mean, even today, you know, a lot of, a lot of times a child is going to learn. What's, what's that child's first word going to be? Sometimes it's going to be, Mama, right? Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes it's going to be, Dada. It's Abba for a little baby back in this school. Abba. That's the, that was the first word they said. So in, so in that way, it, it is similar to our word daddy. But, but it doesn't carry with it. I think the problem with it is that our word daddy doesn't carry with it the same kind of awe and respect that the word Abba, when directed toward God, would have carried. Now, I say that just to caution you against maybe a, a little bit of a misinterpretation of the word Abba. But now I want to push back against that a little bit 
And I, wanna, I want to encourage you to think of the word Abba in a, in a very intimate way. And you think about a little child saying to her dad when she's just learning to speak. And the intimacy that's implied in that word, dada, or Abba. Pray like this. You don't, you don't pray to him, and I think what's not here is very important too. Jesus doesn't say pray to him as some distant potentate, some being out there, way out there somewhere who's annoyed with you and who gets tired of your constant request. And, and he just, he's like the, like the Greek gods, you know. He might very well fly off the handle if you ask it the wrong way, or you ask it too many times, or you ask for the wrong thing. You know, he's kind of like Zeus or whatever. He's like this pagan pantheon. He's, no, no, no. He's your Abba. Pray like this. That's the first thing Jesus said when they said, Lord, we want to know how to pray. All right, here's where it starts. It starts with framing your relationship with God in the proper way. In fact, this is more, this is, this is more than just a, in fact, it's not this at all, really. It's not a, some sort of formula. It's not saying you pray these words like this or you follow these three steps and God's going to give you what you want. You do this the right way and God will hear your prayers. That's not what this is all at all. But rather, it is framed by verse 2. You say, Abba, verse 2. And then look what he does at the end of this. In verse 13, this section of Scripture, what, what, what does he refer to God as there? How much more will the heavenly what? Father. So in verse 2, here's, you want, you want to know how to pray? Let's talk about your relationship to God. Make sure, this is the most important thing about prayer, is make sure that you view God in the right way. That He's your Abba. He's not some distant, angry God. He is not somebody that you can manipulate. He's, he's not this, this grandfatherly kind of being up in the sky somewhere who just wants to give you whatever you want, even when it's not what's best for you. That's not what he is. He is your Abba. And you can come to him and you can talk to him. He is, he's very close. But he, but he also doesn't say that you come to God and just say to him, friend, he's not your peer. He's not on your level. He's not a a human being in the sense that we think of that in that he is sinful in the same ways that we are, or at all, of course. But rather, he's not some distant potentate, and he's also not a friend who's just on your level, so to speak, but rather he is your father, your Abba. It's a very intimate thing, and that's who you're talking to. And so throughout this, he actually, and I think the point of it is when you get to the end of this, he starts talking about a child and his or her dad. What dad? What father among you? Verse 11. If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And so you see he's going from this, um, this friend making a request at midnight. He's saying this hypothetical situation is never going to happen. Nobody's ever going to turn him down like that. But even if he were going to turn you down, he would eventually give in because of your constant request. But now let's talk about God. Let's talk about a father because a father is not like that. A father is going to give the child what that child needs. And so if he asks for fish... He's going to get a fish. If he asks for egg and he needs an egg, he's going to get an egg. He's not going to get a, a serpent. He's not going to get a scorpion. God is not that kind of father. He's not the, he's not, and, and really in verse, um, verse 13 when he says, you who are evil, what, what he means by that is, yeah, we are. We are. 
so often selfish. We are so often self-centered. We are so often, you know, misguided by our own foolishness. But I think mainly he's saying from the lesser to the greater, if you, even with your selfishness, even when you so often do things the wrong way, if you're like that and you respond to your child's request by giving him or her what that child needs, how much more will your father give you what you need? There are two things here. Last, last two things I want to share with you have to do with this, this child. How does, a, how does a child ask? A child asks aggressively. Think about this with me for a second. Going back to that word, I'm shameless, and that friend up in verse, uh, up in the first part of the text, aggressive prayer, that a child is going to ask aggressively. This friend, you know, the, the impudence there, the shamelessness, what he's, what he's communicating, again, I think it's exaggerated. I think it's kind of a hypothetical thing, this story he tells at the beginning. Um, but there is a, a pretty cool point that he's making there. And he says, even this friend who's selfish and doesn't want to get out of bed, doesn't want to wake the kids, you can understand that, doesn't want to wake the neighbors, um, even that friend will give in because you ask so shamelessly. There's a little bit of a scandalous nature of what Jesus is teaching us here because he is saying that we ought to, now I'm putting this, if you're listening to this later on audio, I'm putting this in quotation marks. These are air quotes, okay? God wants you to bother him with your prayers. You know how kids are. I remember when um, we lived in Jasper and we had um, um, an older gospel preacher who was pretty well known in uh, of the brotherhood. He came to our house for dinner and Melanie can correct me later. I forgot to make sure this was the right one, but I think it was Grant. It was Grant, right? <laughs> so it was Grant. Grant was uh, about four years old, I think, at the time. And, um, you know, we had four kids, and if Grant was four, then they were from six and under, you know? And you know how it is with kids? You kind of tune them out. After a while, sometimes you got to, otherwise they'll drive you bonkers. I'm speaking for me, not for my wife. But kids, kids will ask over and over again. And, and so I, I don't know, I was talking to the, the brother, the preacher, you know, or, or we were, and I think Grant must have been asking him something over and probably to throw a ball or something. I don't know, but all of a sudden... This, his preacher, he stopped talking to me and he, and, he, and he looked at one of us, he looked at me and Mel and he said, wow, he is incessant, isn't he? <laughs> and, uh, and I think probably we weren't even aware that it was going on, but he was very aware of Grant's incessance and wanting whatever. But that's the way kids are, right? I mean, those of you who've got a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, I mean, they will drive you crazy sometimes with stuff. Now, again, don't hear negativity here. So if, you can, if I can take the negative out of bother, uh, if I can take the negative connotation out of persistence, out of impudence, then what we're, what we're learning here from Jesus is that he wants us to pray aggressively. 
He wants us to pray incessantly. You're not going to bother God in a negative way. You're not going to get God irritated. He's not going to get to a point where he's just like, would you stop it already? He doesn't get there. See, the whole, the whole story is leading us to talk about children. You know, to, to think about God as your Abba, and you're, you're this child who is asking God over and over and over again. And I, and I want to encourage you, looking for something practical here, and I'm guilty as anybody of doing this, of praying some, about something for a couple of times, and God doesn't answer me, and so I move on. I'm going to pray about something else. I think what Jesus is teaching us here is keep on praying. Keep on praying until God definitively gives you some sort of an answer where God says, okay, this is, this is how I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to give it to you or I'm not going to give it to you. If God definitively answers in some sort of way where he has shown you what his answer is, keep on praying. Pray and pray and pray and pray again about the same thing. And so I know there's somebody here who has given up on something that you've been talking to God about. Can, can, I, can I ask you, can I encourage you to hear this message today that I think is embedded in this text? And that is what God is, is wanting you to do because it's good for you, it's good for us as Christians, is for us to be incessant because that's what children do. And we don't know. We don't know what God's going to do. We don't know what's best. We think we do, but we don't. The three-year-old can, you know, you think about this. You take the level of our awareness as parents and compare that to the level of awareness of a three-year-old, and that's a pretty, pretty big gap, right? My child doesn't know a lot of things. The difference, say we're here, and a three-year-old or four-year-old is here. What do you think the difference between God's awareness and our awareness would be? See what I'm getting at here? Can, 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 are my arms long enough? Can, can I express that gap? I don't, I don't think I can. And yet when we're thinking about it here, Jesus is talking about a child asking a father for something, and the father's going to give the child what that child needs. And yet there's this sense in which he is saying, he started out by saying Abba in verse 2. He ends it by talking about Abba in verse 13. And he is telling us a story about prayer here. And he's saying, just like a child, you just keep on asking. Bother God. Wear him out with your prayers because you can't. I think that's the point here. We pray, a child prays, a child asks aggressively. Aggressively. And a child asks, we pray humbly, trustingly, trustingly. When you have a relationship with your son or daughter, there's a great sense, and it's a pretty neat thing, it's a humbling thing for us as parents, to know that a child will trust us. Trust us. Trust us to protect them. Trust us to do what's best for them. The child trusts. And I think embedded here in, in this text, I tell you, ask and it'll be given you. Ask, you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. Then he gives the illustration about the fish and the bread and all that. And, God, and, the, and the father responds by giving appropriately, not, not giving something that's harmful, not responding evil with good, or this evil to a good request. 
This is not some like carte blanche, blank check, just God's going to do whatever. He's not that kind of God. We don't want that kind of God, do we? You don't want a God who's going to do whatever you want him to do, do you? I know, I know part of us in our selfness say, well, yeah, sometimes that's the kind of God I want. Sometimes when I pray, you know, I, uh, I want God to do it like I'm asking it. No, but we really don't. It's not the God of, that's, a, that's a little G God, right? That's, that's not a big G God. That's a God we can manipulate. A God who's going to do what we want Him to do always is not the God of the Bible. That's a, that's a different kind of God. That's a God people create, not the God who is. Because the God who is is a God who knows the end from the beginning. He knows all the whys and the whats and all the contingencies and knows all this stuff. And sometimes, his, oftentimes, his answers are going to be not what we ask for. You know, using the kill illustration again, I read this somewhere this week. Uh, you know, like the movie Aladdin. Uh, you know, the, the genie thing, right? So you got the genie, and the genie is going to give you three wishes, and you can have anything you want. What are the exceptions? I can't remember what the exceptions are. But let's just say the three, three wishes here. You get anything you want. Oh, yeah, you can't ask for more wishes, right? That's one of the exceptions. You get three wishes. Now, you give that genie to a four-year-old, and you better look out. <laughs> because something catastrophic is about to happen. Because that four-year-old... Will hurt. I mean, something's gonna. Hurt. I mean, something something bad's gonna happen because they don't know. I can have anything. I, three wishes. I can have three of whatever I want. Man, it's gonna be crazy. And you think about again. Remember the gap here. Remember the gap. You think about our relationship to God. We don't want a genie. We don't want a God to do whatever we want. We don't want to ask for this, and we just we get the right incantation right, we say the words right, say the Lord's Prayer a number of times, you know, do this and do that, and therefore I will get what I want. No, we don't want that God, and that's not the God who is. And that's the end of the passage here. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? To those who ask Him for what? doesn't say, does it? I think that's a pretty important part of the text. I don't really think the implication here is that the person's asking for the Holy Spirit. I think you look at this passage and you read it in the context of the whole Bible that this is a Christian who's asking and maybe asking for a scorpion and doesn't know it. This, 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 is, a, this is a child of God who, who's, who's asking for a serpent and doesn't know it thinks they're asking for bread, thinks they're asking for fish, but they're actually asking for a serpent or a scorpion. You know what God does? God gives us what we need. Parallel kind of this in Matthew, it says good, good things, good gifts. Here it says Holy Spirit. The, 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 the truth being, God, God is going to respond. God is going to respond to us, and he's going to give us what we need. And that's what we want him to give us anyway. Really, on our deepest in, in our, our, our wisest moments, at the deepest levels of our being, that is what we want God to do. Even though our sinfulness so often wants the scorpion. How we think it's bread, we think it's a fish, 
But God looks down at us and he knows the thing we're asking for is not the thing we most need right then. I've shared with you a quotation that I'm not sure where it originated from, not from me. But it is, I've shared this with you before, I know. But it is, God answers the prayer you would have prayed if you knew everything that God knows. I want to push back against that statement a little bit. Maybe you do too. Think of exceptions. Maybe there are some. I don't know. But I think that's a pretty good way of talking about prayer. Or the, the way the Bible talks about prayer. The way the Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. But then it says at the end of it, God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And we know from other places that God doesn't just answer our prayers the way that we pray them. And I like to think about prayer, especially when I'm praying about something so hard and I feel like God is not answering the prayer and it doesn't seem right. It doesn't, like I think I'm praying consistently with the will of God and God's not doing it or whatever. And, 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 and this helps us to come back to this awareness that God is so much God. He is so something that we don't even understand. He's so far above us. He's our Abba, our Father. But He is the sovereign Creator. Therefore, God knows all this stuff. And we find ourselves sometimes in a moment where we're trying to figure out what God is doing. And for the life of us, in the moment, we don't have any clue. You've, I've heard some of you say this before. I don't understand why this happened makes no earthly sense at all. I don't see how this could be good. How could this be good? How could this in any world be good? And yet, part of our stance as believers is to trust in God, especially when we can't connect all these dots. When we can't make something that we know is bad how God could even take that bad thing and somehow in His sovereignty bring about good. God answers the prayer we would have prayed if we knew everything that God knows. Maybe there ought to be a little bit more to that statement. If we knew everything that God knows and if we were perfect in our holiness and goodness as God is, maybe that postscript ought to be added as well. So the message for today, practically speaking, and I hope you'll do this, is this week, maybe take some time tonight, or in your quiet moment when you get some time away from distractions, is to have a talk with God. And, um, and talk to God about something that you have kind of stopped talking to Him about because you gave up. Maybe you prayed about it for a while and and you don't ever sense that God answered, you don't know what God's answer was, go back to that again. Start talking to him about it again. You might make some notes because if you're like me, you'll forget. Make yourself some notes about things you need to be praying about and bother God with them this week. Bother him with them. Over and over and over again. The great thing about bothering God is he won't be bothered. The great thing about being incessant with God is he won't ever get frustrated and say, Wow, that is an incessant little child. <laughs> you won't ever do that. God will 
look down on us and we need, we need to pray incessantly because it's a constant reminder of our helplessness and our utter and total dependence on God. If you're not a Christian today, you know we've been talking about prayer a lot and you're, you're not a Christian. This, you, you, everybody prays, right? I, I, think, I think most everybody prays. Even the most ardent atheist probably has times where he or she is appealing to something beyond his or her control, you know? And so we've been talking about prayer. What, what I'd encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to think about is, wouldn't you like to have a relationship with the one who created you and the one who wants to look out for your best interest and the one who has promised you that he will answer your prayers in a ways that are consistent with his nature and for your own ultimate and eternal good? You can have a relationship with him today. We invite you to trust in Jesus Christ, to commit your life to Him, to say to Him, I want you to be my Lord, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And God will, as the text says, give you the Holy Spirit who will walk with you. We invite you today to submit your life to Christ. Maybe you need to ask for prayers of your church family here. We'll pray for you. Let's stand. Let's sing.